Good day, everyone. This is Jeb from Revolution Church. Today, we are going to have our third preach of the Advent series. We had the first one in early December. We had the second one. And then the third one was snowed out. We unfortunately had to cancel church. Um, very unfortunate, obviously, for, for all of us. And we didn't get the third sermon. So I wanted to do that this morning so we can have a completion to the series, conclusion to the series, and I hope that what God has to say through this sermon um, and through the Word of God is going to bless each one of us. So to start off with, who do you call when you have a kid? I've had a couple of children. Uh, my wife and I have had a couple of children, four of them. And each time you make a call when that child is born. You make an announcement. You might call your dad. You might call your mom, your siblings, some friends. Eventually you tell everybody. Um, but there's usually a, a series of events leading up to that child being born, and then you want to tell people because it's a it's a joyous event, it's momentous, it's awesome, it's exciting, and you want to share that you want to share that with others. And who do you call? And what we're going to look at today is a couple of the first calls that God made, a couple of the first messages that He sent after His son was born. And it's important because God doesn't do anything that's not important. Um, there's there's a lot in here for us to see today that we can apply to our lives, that we can learn from around how God does things and how the kingdom culture works compared to what we may think. What, what, what If we were looking at it from a, from our perspective or maybe a, a worldly perspective, first call from God would be to this group or this person. Um, God does things differently. So we're going to look at that today. Um, it, it's not what we think. Right? It is what you know. But it might not be what you think um, from that worldly perspective. The first week of our Advent, we looked at the events before um, leading up to the birth of Jesus. The angel coming to Mary, to Zechariah, telling them about Jesus who's coming. Um, all of the prophecies are going to come to fruition here at this time, which is an amazing story. And they both reacted differently to the angel, and there's a lot we could learn through that. And then the second week was Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus, through whom all things were made, God, God the Son, being born, condescending to be born as a child, to be, to be conceived, and then to be born as a child in, through a virgin, through Mary. And just that, that is a, a thought. It's something that I can say. It's something that hopefully you can grasp. We can all grasp to a greater measure um, through this season and just through life. Because it's so important, the story of God and the way He does things. And just the, the gospel of Jesus Christ being born, being fully God and being fully man. Born of a virgin. And I hope that we can, we can sometimes grasp these thoughts. I hope we can grasp them a bit further, a bit more through this Advent season, even as we're at the end of it here. Um, but just continue to hold on to that. God was fully man, but He is God. Jesus is God born as a man. Just an amazing thought and so important. And today we're going to look at a few of those events that happened just after the birth of Jesus. So who are those calls God made? Who are those calls God who are those calls to that God made? So without further ado, let's get into the scriptures. Luke chapter 2. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Now heaven and earth have been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah to come. He finally came, and we looked at that, Emmanuel, God with us. He was born, and God chooses to send his messengers to bring the good news to the sheep herders that were up in the fields nearby. The term, I'm going to use the term sheep herders a little bit today, because I think when we think shepherd, we think we have a bit of this romantic ideal about shepherd and shepherds, and it's just, you know, Jesus with his crook, and it's so idyllic, and the sun's shining always, you know, these types of things that we think about when we think of the word shepherd, because we're so used to it as Christians, around using it in context of Jesus the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and that's that um, livelihood is kind of colored a little bit. But sheep herding is what they did. They were sheep herders. Even though shepherds is the most commonly used example of leadership in the Bible, God uses shepherds very often. Um, And Jesus calls himself the good shepherd in John chapter 10. Shepherds at this time in Israel's history were one of the lowest classes of Jewish Jewish society. And that's a, a little surprising. Maybe we didn't know that. It was not an easy job. They would take shifts sleeping at night so some could watch the flock at night while the others were getting, uh, getting some Z's. And the ones that were watching the flock, they had to do so because in case robbers came or wolves came or something else, they had to fight these things off. They had to keep watch over the sheep because sheep need defending. I mean, just look at them. And you'll see the picture of the sheep there. This animal is not going to defend itself. It needs someone to defend it. And so the sheep herders are there to herd the sheep and also to defend them. And it's a hard job. It's a difficult job. My wife recently took our two youngest to a farm in the Fraser Valley. She has a friend there who actually um, has sheep, and she brought them there to help to butcher the sheep and to slaughter the sheep and to just go through that whole process. And so our kids could be, you know, they could see it. And Dana was saying that the sheep, when you bring them to the um, to the farmer um, to be slaughtered, they they just come obediently. There's no fighting, there's no anything when they're, when they're going to be, when that moment comes, they just kind of stand there. And it's the opposite of almost, you know, most other animals. The, the, the lady, the farmer was saying, like, goats, you don't even want to see that. It's a totally different experience. But for sheep, they, they're so helpless, they need someone to defend them. And there's so much in that, obviously, um, that God calls us sheep. <laughs> so, and Jesus is our good shepherd, and he's the great shepherd. So what is he seeing and how, how does he take on that role? Um, obviously, there's so much to say about leadership and, and Jesus as our shepherd. But sheep have this strong freeze instinct. So it's important that they have that. But like many stories of nomadic people who wander the earth, and you can look back throughout history in different examples, um, when those same people settle down and they start building cities and they become civilized, the former way of life is, off, is often looked down upon. So the civilization starts to build. They build, they build farms. They're starting to cultivate crops. They're, they now have domestic animals, perhaps that they're raising here. 
Um, they look back on wh what we used to do, and they go, we don't do that anymore. People that still do that, they're in the olden days, right? We don't associate with them. We want to move on. We want progress, um, those types of things. Israel used to be a nomadic people. When you look throughout the, the history of Israel, they used to move around, and many of their prominent leaders were shepherds. But then they spent hundreds of years in Egypt, in captivity, where the shepherds were seen as detestable. It says in the Bible, the Egyptians looked at the shepherds and the Israelites as detestable. And then Israel, when they left and they eventually moved into the Promised Land, they began to settle down. And they began to view the shepherds, the sheep herders, as a lazy, dirty bunch of nomads. That was their old ways. That's the old ways still around. In the time when Jesus was born, shepherds were not afforded the civil rights of other people. That was a lower class of society. They were not eligible to hold any office, and they were not allowed to be witnesses in court because they were seen as, as liars, that you can't trust a shepherd. This was just the, the, the class system that, that evolved in that area at the time. There's a Jewish text of their law at that time that even states, no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. I mean, who would even write that? You have to have a pretty strong disdain for the shepherding lifestyle. To even write that, like oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, you, you, you don't have to help this person. Who should I? Who should I put? Oh, I'll put shepherds. I'll put shepherds in that. Just as an example, the people they'll get that, and so that's how they kind of saw the the shepherd lifestyle. So it's to these shepherds, it's to this class, that God chooses to send the first announcement after the birth of the Messiah. So He chooses the lowly, and the angel tells them. That the birth of the Messiah is good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The good news will be for all the people. But I've sent the news to you first. You shepherds, out here in the dark, at night, up to keep the wolves away from these sheep. Israel cares about the sheep once a year when they need a lamb for the Passover. Then the shepherds are important. But the rest of the year, you guys, you guys just off to the side. God, God doesn't see it like that. He sends the angel to the shepherds. Not to Caesar, not to the Herods, not to the religious leaders. He sends the angel to the sheep herders outside the city in the fields. God shows once again that the culture of the kingdom is different than the culture of this world. We saw that in the birth of Jesus, where Jesus was born in a manger. Right? You lead your child in the same place you put food for an animal. That's God, the Son of God in a manger. And God just continues just demonstrating the kingdom culture is not like ours, where now he sends that angel um, to those outside the city. He sees the ones that others overlook. That's who God sees. And he demonstrates that. And Jesus lived this way also. He didn't ignore those at the bottom. And it's a criticism of his ministry. He was accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. You can look at Luke 5, Luke 15. He was criticized consistently throughout his ministry for hanging out with those that, that others look down upon. But that's kingdom culture. God doesn't see all the outside. He sees the heart. And Jesus just demonstrated that through the way he lived. And right here at the beginning, God just continues to set these foundations into that, that demonstrating for us what the kingdom's all about. Continuing on. 
Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the only time outside of Revelation that we see a reference to angels singing in front of humans. And not just a few, it says a great heavenly host, a great multitude of the heavenly host of angels. So God blessed these shepherds outside in the fields. He blessed these shepherds with a vision that we would only, we would love to see. We would, we can just only dream about it. He gave it to them. He just opened up heaven. These angels, these angels were, were singing before God in front of these shepherds. What a, what a view that was. I know some folks who've, who've seen angels or they claim to, to experience, you know, angels in different ways. These shepherds, as a, as a group, they saw the heavenly host singing praises to God. They were blessed. They're, God bless their socks off. And it's just an amazing picture there again of kingdom. It's just kingdom. And they said, the shepherds said, let's go and see this thing that has happened. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They didn't stay silent. They were the first evangelists. If you look at the, at that Jesus being born, God called someone, God called the group, blessed them, and then they went and told others. They were the first evangelists of the Christ. They, they went and they went, they were, they were told, they saw, and they told others. And that's just an amazing picture for us right away of what God expects and what he, and what these, uh, these shepherds did. So a summary here. Shepherds, they were lowly, they were overlooked. Often outside the city because they weren't allowed to bring their flocks inside the city limits. So they were outside in the fields. They were told about Jesus and they drew near. And that's important. Just right away. First call God made, tell them about Jesus and they, they came. They came close to him. So now let's look at the other side. The next call God made or at least what we see recorded in Scripture, as one of the first messages he gave was to the wise men. And that we're going to go to Matthew chapter 2 for that. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, there's a mystique about these wise men. If we look in popular culture, and I, I googled a lot. <laughs> I searched a lot. did a lot of research this week. Um, looking for information about wise men. Because I have an idea in my head. I've sung the songs. I've done the plays. Um, but when you research, there's so many ideas. There's so much mystique built up around it. Theories. There's very little the Bible actually says um, about the origins of these wise men. Definitively. But if you look at the, at the research and, and especially people's opinions, you'll see there's many historical texts, um, that actually give them names and appearances 
origin stories. They say, here's their names. And some of the texts say, here's three names. Here's three other names, another text. Here's what they look like. Um, I think there's just a mystique about it, but there's, there's no scholarly agreement. So we're going to look at just maybe what does the Bible say or what do we, what do we actually know or what don't we know about these wise men? Let's break it down a little bit. So you may know the song, uh, We Three Kings of Orient Are. We three kings of Orient are. I remember singing that and hearing that as a kid. Um, but let's, let's look at some of the, the details of what we actually know about these wise men. So there were not necessarily three. So we'll cross that one out right away. Um, there could have been two, there could have been a hundred. The reason we have three is because they brought three gifts to Jesus, but the Bible doesn't actually say if there was three or not. There could have been two. There were king. There were, there were magi. So that's a, a plural. Um, there were at least two. They likely weren't kings. Um, at least the Bible doesn't say they were kings. The term magi, which is used in the Bible and is magos in the Greek, was originally used to describe a group of learned men who were from a religious caste of the Zoroastrian religion. Though the term then, at that time, became more generally used to describe men of great learning. So that's kind of the, the definition at the time was these are men uh, who did research. They were men who set aside. They were set aside to be scholars, um, to learn things and just study and learn and, and whatnot. There's one theory that's pretty prominent that these men came from Babylon, um, from the area around Babylon, Persia, and they were part of a cast of, of researchers and learners there who were founded by Daniel back when he was in Babylon, um, many years earlier, when Israel was, was, uh, was there in Babylon in exile. So lots of ideas, lots of thoughts. Um, we're pretty sure they weren't kings, but they were some kind of learned, esteemed, obviously wealthy men. And one other thing, if they were from Babylon or around that area, they often would look at the sky and they would look for, they would map the sky, map the stars, map the movement of everything. Um, and so if, if they were that and they saw a star rise, it makes sense with coming from that area and just their focus on celestial events. We three kings, not necessarily of Orient. Um, again, like, likely not the, the Orient. I'm pretty certain they weren't from the Orient, but there's many different ideas. Like I said, Babylonia, Mesopotamia, Eritrea, um, or Ethiopia. And if you go to Ethiopia, they're quite convinced, many of the Ethiopians there, um, in their belief system that they were from Ethiopia. And that's the founding of many of the churches there. They see the wise men bringing back that knowledge back to Ethiopia, um, which is, is an interesting theory. And I'd like to look more into it. I'm actually going to look more into this overall because it's just fascinating that there's so many different ideas out there. But regardless, we do know that they came from the East and that they followed a star. And we, we know those things. So let's get back to the text. After Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem in Judea, Magi came from the east. Um, we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. They knew enough of Jewish history to know about the Messiah that was to be born. And they came not only to honor Jesus, but to worship him. They came to worship Jesus. So they, they, they were familiar with the Jewish prophecies and the Jewish texts. And they came to Herod. Now, Herod's a character I 
cannot do justice to right now. And it's an aside that I'd encourage you to look into. A lot of interesting history there about this character, Herod, um, in the story. He was not a Jew, but he was placed by the Romans over the Jews. He was an Edomite um, from the, the line of Esau. He ruled through fear, and he impoverished the people, killing many. And there are many um, historical events that took place that he, he directed. And it's some horrible stuff. Um, when he heard that there was one that was to become king of the Jews, which would be presumably in his place, he was disturbed, the Bible says. And if you look at, at the man of Herod, it makes sense that he would be disturbed because it was a pretty insecure position he was in. And he definitely ruled through, through fear and power. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Israel with him. When he had called together all the chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Interesting. So Herod went to the scriptures to find out where and when the Messiah was to be born. It doesn't mean he believed the prophecy, but he knew that the people believed it. He knew that there was a, there was a faith in the word of God and that the prophecies were what the people would believe in. So if there was a Messiah that was to take his place, he went to the scriptures. If they were to rally behind a new king, that would be the end of his reign. So Herod called the Magi secretly and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so I too may go and worship him. Now we, had, we know that from reading further on the story that he had no intention of worshiping Jesus. We see that he meant to kill Jesus. Um, but he directed the wise men to the correct city where Jesus was to be found, and he got that city from the scriptures. So the wise men... After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose ahead of them went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They were full of joy at finding the one they came for. The wise men were called, they were, they were given a sign, they came and they were filled with joy when they found him. These wise men from the east came and they bowed down and they worshiped the Lord. These learned esteemed men, they humbled themselves before a child and they gave him gifts that were fit for a king because they understood who they were in front of. And this was a common practice amongst kings, and still is today. Even our heads of state, when they go to other countries, you often bring a gift from that country. Um, I think Canada, we give a lot of uh, smoked salmon and syrup and other things, hockey jerseys, I don't know. There's other things we give, seal, used to be seal pelts, probably not anymore. Um, but we used to give gifts, and that's often a thing that happens. Back then it was a thing too, between kings and those that were esteemed or, or wealthy, um, you bring gifts to each other. All right, so we're going to do a little bit of an aside here and go into the gifts that were given by the wise men 
to Jesus, just because it's interesting and I think there's a lot of unknowns here. Um, the first one we see on the slide is gold. Uh, gold is valuable, it always has been, and back then it was a form of currency. Today it's a form of currency in a way. Um, frankincense is dried sap from a tree found in Arabia and North Africa. It looks like fossilized popcorn, and it was back then and still is today used primarily as incense, as a form of incense. You, you would burn it, you would um, break it down into some kind of a, an incense type spice and, and burn it. Very valuable. Um, today, not so much. You can get a bottle of it for $8 on Amazon. Um, but back then, it was comparable to gold and myrrh. All three were quite expensive because they were difficult to extract. And there were actually wars fought over, or battles fought over areas where this tree grew. So it's uh, quite, quite difficult. So myrrh is sap um, from a different species of the same family of tree as frankincense. Um, used as an extract. Very strong fragrance. And it's still used today in that area as an antiseptic. Um, or traditionally used to prepare bodies for burial. So back then they would use it as embalming fluid. You'd cover a body in it, wrap it. Um, and then you'd place the body in a tomb or wherever you would, you would bury that body. It was a very common use of myrrh. Gold and frankincense, as we can see, are, are understandable as gifts. Um, they make some sense. Myrrh is an odd choice today, and it was even a more odd choice back then. Who gives a child embalming fluid when you're going to bring a, a, a gift? Like, congratulations, you've had a baby. Here's some gold. Awesome. Here's some frankincense for, you know, to burn incense. That's great. It's valuable. Here's some myrrh, embalming fluid. That's a very odd choice, and it kind of shows what, what is behind the purpose of some of these gifts and what the Bible is sharing with us. Gold is Jesus as, as king. It's what you give to a king. It's a gift fit for a king. Frankincense is Jesus as God, as divinity. So you, you burn incense before God. The priest would burn incense before God. It speaks to that. God's the divinity of, of Jesus. Myrrh is speaking to Jesus' death and burial. Right there at the beginning of his life, these gifts represent something. He was given myrrh as a child. He was offered myrrh on the cross, which would have eased his pain. He refused it. And he was wrapped in clothes, presumably that were, were doused in myrrh, um, after his death and laid in the tomb. And so it's just a, a right at the beginning here again, God just showing this is, this is who this is through these gifts. He is God. He is, he is man. He is a king. And he will die for the sins of the world. That's our aside. Back to the story. Finally, these wise men came and they worshipped Jesus. They gave prophetic gifts. And then they returned home. Awesome stories. These two are awesome stories. The wise men and the shepherds. Um, of, of God's plan to announce the coming of his son. So again, he made some calls at the beginning. He called the shepherds. He gave, sent them a message. Um, even in the stories, you can see the angel's declaration to the shepherds and to the wise men, all people. Great joy. This, this, this birth of this, of the son, the birth of the Messiah will cause great joy for all the people. All the people. When God says all, he means all. He means all the people. Shepherds who were lowly and overlooked. The ones that supplied Israel with lambs for the Passover were the first ones invited to see the Lamb of God. The wise men, 
blessed and esteemed in this world, were the first to come and give Jesus gifts and prophetically announce his ministry. God doesn't, God doesn't have favorites. God doesn't show favoritism. Both sides of the social spectrum. We have the shepherds on the one side, lowly. We have the, the wise men on the other side, esteemed and learned and wealthy. God sends messages to both groups. And everyone in the middle, all, all, great joy for all the people. And he does it right here at the beginning. He shows us it's for all the people. They were both told about Jesus. Both of these groups were told about Jesus. And they both drew near. And that's important. Whether it was through angels or celestial events with the star, God was behind both of these groups being told about the Messiah and both drew near to him. It was God's plan is to reveal and then to draw. And it's up to these. The shepherds didn't have to go, but they went. The wise men didn't have to follow the star, but they did. They came near to Jesus. And God, his desire is for you to come near to him. You can be drawn, you can be called, but you have to put feet to it. And they put feet to it. In James it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So draw near to God. Draw near to God. Take a step. Take a further step. God's calling you. You're watching the sermon for a reason. Um, you, you may be, we're all at different places in our relationship with God, but we know that he's there, that he's calling us. We can go near to God, regardless of where you are on the social spectrum. You can be the lowest of the low. You can be the, we can be wealthy and esteemed. Both, you can be lonely in both in this world. But God says, come near. God says, come near. Draw near. Come close. We can all identify with the shepherds at times. Being outcast, being overlooked perhaps. And we can identify with the wise men. Right? Being wealthy. If you go, if you travel anywhere in this world, you come back and you go, wow, we're wealthy here. Even if you don't have a lot in this culture, you've got a lot. We can identify. God's calling all men, all people. To himself. God sees you and he's calling you to draw near. If you feel like no one else sees you on the outskirts, God does. And he is first and foremost calling you to come near. This season I want to encourage you to read the stories, to pray to him who is unseen, that he might reveal himself to you all over again. Just call you. As we transition here from Christmas into New Year's, it's an opportunity just to go, oh, just take a breath. The season's over, but a new season's around the corner. Um, we are going to do great things in God if we draw near to him. We're going to do his work if we draw near to him. And what's interesting is right away, we see in these stories, the, the, the shepherds, they were called, they drew near, and then they told others. They got about God's business, but it was just natural. They met the Lord. They saw angels. They experienced something of God and they went and told others about it because how can you keep that to yourself? And with all that's, that's going on and happening in the world today, people need to hear the message about the Son of God being born in that manger and being alive today. And God has called you to draw near to himself and to then go and tell others because they need to hear that story. The world is, is shaking, it's always been, and it will continue to. People need to hear the message of the one who is unshaken, the one who is unshaking and unshakable, and that's the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was born, who was given gifts, and who was embalmed in myrrh, died, buried, 
was resurrected and is right now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And that's the, that's the message to the world. But it comes best through those that draw near to God. You're called to draw near first and then go and tell others. God bless you, church. God bless you. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy for each one of us. So we're going to, the next few weeks, we're going to get into some New Year's um, discussion and talk about some of the things that are happening in the church. And there's lots going on. There's going to be a lot of activities coming up, different events, and it's, it's exciting to have fellowship together. I encourage you at this time of just that, that breath between now and, and the new year is just to draw near to God. Set some time aside. You and Him. You and Him. God's drawing you near. God bless you.